Welcome to Killer Bees. This is not a Wu-Tang podcast. No, this is a podcast where we profile B-movie and genre film stars. Uh, we can be found everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. That's Killer BS Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at gmail.com. And we are on and part of the moviejohn.com podcast. Also, I'm Tori Potenza. And I'm Garrett Smith. <laughs> uh, oh, I real I forgot two parts of the intro. God, we we almost we got this written down. We've got this so tight, uh-huh. and I still screwed it up. Uh, our artwork is by Alex Schneider, and our music is by Christine Rayburn and her partner Pat. My name is Garrett Smith. And I'm Tori Potenza. There we go. See, <laughs> that's how it should have gone. I just I did it a little backwards. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I got you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sweet. You do it off the top of your head. I have to stare at this computer screen and read it. I know. I've noticed. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> You'll get there eventually. Oh, uh, yeah. Um. Yeah. So welcome to a new episode of The Killer Bees. Um, we're really excited for this particular episode. I think it's going to be a little different than some of the other stuff we've done. But uh, before we jump into uh, this actor, uh, let's talk about some of the stuff we've been watching lately. Yeah, um, I mean, we have been watching a lot of movies for this particular episode, mm-hmm. so the big thing I wanted to talk about was kind of, a, we've, we've sort of talked about wanting to follow up on some of the actors that we've already covered, and uh, so Kino Lorber had their big March Madness sale, we got a bunch of stuff, including a John Saxon movie that you and I wanted to see, uh, called Cannibal Apocalypse. Uh, and uh, we watched that our, our Blu-ray of that uh, yesterday. Yeah, we also bought Nightmare Beach because we liked it so much. Yes, so we, we did. Bought, we got two Saxons, uh, but we were excited for for this one because this is one we were not able to watch before we did our Saxon episode. Yeah, this is one of the ones I wanted to catch up with because yeah. I thought it sounded interesting, and uh, it was interesting. It was not great, but it was interesting. It was interesting. I mean, Saxon was really great. Um, there's a lot of like him shirtless or him in really awesome like dad attire. Yeah, we were talking about how like he looks like, and and maybe this is because I was you know uh, uh, born when I was. I was born in the late '80s, but like. He looks like what I think of when I think of, like, a dad. Yeah. He looks fit, but he looks fit from, like, yard work. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, although he does uh, show off some of his black belt skills in, he uh, does. in this movie. Yeah, this was a weird movie. I think mostly, I was like trying to think of like typical cannibal movies I've seen. And yeah. when I think of cannibals, it's like Hannibal Lecter. It's like cannibal rednecks, like uh-huh. uh, Motel Hell or right. Texas Chainsaw. Right. Or it's like, you know... Probably the most problematic, which is like usually like indigenous like uh, oh, sure. groups. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so this one was weird because it was like very much trying to distinguish itself from those other kinds of cannibal movies, yeah. but also not be a zombie movie. Uh, because it kind of felt like this could have just turned into a zombie movie. I almost feel like uh, this movie's take. Is that like, hey, what if a cannibal movie was a zombie movie or like vice versa? Yeah, it was was weird. It's a disease that spreads through bites. They describe it like rabies. And so like in some way you could say it's like a precursor to things like 28 Days Later to movies that sort of are zombie adjacent like kind of zombie movies, but not in the true traditional sense of them. Yeah, because it's like people are... Yeah, I was like trying to think of like the, how the characters change, and they guess they don't change a lot. It could be argued, like maybe I'm wrong about this, but like, and also I actually don't know 
how long we are supposed to think it's been since he got home from Vietnam. Because I would think a couple years. Right. And so, but like, so ostensibly this guy has been living as a cannibal, but doesn't know it yet, kind yeah. of, for like many yeah. years. Because like, he seems, I like, think I the, think he got bit there. But right? I think the idea was that like. By the way, okay, they this have, movie they is have... about, <laughs> this movie is about a Vietnam uh, vet who comes home uh, and has a couple uh, men that served under him that also come home, but they are sent to like a psychiatric hospital. Yeah. Whereas he is allowed to, he passes evaluations yeah. and comes home safely. These two men he found in a POW camp where the movie indicates that they weren't so much prisoners of war as much as like they seem to have contracted some disease yeah. that the Vietnamese do not want spread. So they put them in a hole. Yeah. Um, does that seem Yeah, right? That's I like think the so. Kind of. Yeah. And then these guys get released. It's a little fast and loose like some yeah. of these Italian movies are. So yeah, uh, these guys get released and start biting other people. Yeah. Um, and they discover that they are, are have some sort of like pathogen that they're yeah. spreading across whatever unknown American yeah. city this is meant to take place in. I mean, I think the idea, at least at the beginning of the movie, yeah. is that it's like, it kind of, they talk about it kind of being like a rabies-ish, but right. it seems like it also lies dormant until someone is triggered a p- particular way. Right, it's got like a PTSD parallel yeah, like going on Yeah, like he, the first time he like, we see John Saxon bite someone is like right after he gets off the phone with one of the guys he served with that he saw like eating someone. Yes. And then there's there's this sound in the background that, like, we kind of talked about it sounds like a helicopter or something. So it's, like, it's this moment of just, like, weird stress, and he kind of, like, freaks out, and then he bites someone. Right. And so it's, like, it seems like, at least at the beginning, they're trying to be, like, oh, but it only happens under circum- cer- certain circumstances, but then it has to turn into, like, you know, is a <laughs> cannibal apocalypse. Yeah. So they kind of just, like, let that fall by the wayside. The more people contract the cannibalism disease and yeah it's it's odd i think we both definitely agreed that like the first half was really interesting when it was sort of trying to be a ptsd metaphor and then the second half definitely kind of like yeah loses track of that thread and becomes just a kind of typical it weirdly reminded me of like rabid where this thing happens to this person and it's kind of spreading but we don't like really see to the extent that it spreads or or how it's like really affecting like the larger population because like we know in rabid that like it is affecting more people but we don't like see like a ton of it it's really weird apocalypse happening in like the background yeah because we're mostly following like this main character and like her partner i think this movie is definitely similar where characters talk about being afraid that this is going to spread throughout the city but we are only ever following these like four main players, yeah. so we never really know if that's ha- and like typical of some other like Italian movies I've seen. It feels like they spent a lot of their money up front and then just kind of had to like get a lot of stuff yeah. done to sort of finish the movie. I did like the ending, like the actual kind of ending was was interesting. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, um. I don't know if it was like it wasn't like pulled off in as surprising a way as I think it wanted me to think it was. Yeah, uh, but I liked it. Like I appreciated what it was and mm-hmm. what it was doing. Um, but yeah, I I liked this for its ideas more than for its execution. It's actually a good looking movie. Yeah, but I um. 
the was it Antonio Margariti was the yeah, and director? the transfer like looked really, yeah, really good. good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all of that was fun. Yeah, um, some great. Uh, you were talking before about the dad costumes. I mean, he's like oh, at yeah. a certain point, Saxon is wearing like a turtleneck with a flannel over top of it, and then a like fishing vest over yeah. top of that. I was like, oh, this is fucking prime. Like, also, there are a lot of people in this movie that have trouble hanging up phones correctly, which we both realized midway through the movie which was really funny multiple times characters yeah. end a phone conversation and then just kind of set the phone down yeah or they like drop it or like just something happens yeah. you're like but like why they just like don't why? put the what is it the receiver back <laughs> yeah, on the phone i'm like so now weird. having to remember old technology that no longer exists i know it's really yeah. funny um but yeah so we were we were excited to I liked see that, that. Movie, yeah it was it was pretty cool yeah some pretty interesting stuff there yeah, for yeah. sure um, if people are into like Italian exploitation movies, yeah. I think it's worth seeing. I think so. Um, Were there any others that you wanted to talk about particularly? Yeah, two that I was thinking quickly. Yeah. Um, one uh, I watched without you, but I've been watching all these rape revenge movies. And so one of the ones that I decided to check out was uh, The House on the Edge of the Park, which is... Mm. Um, I think also an Italian movie. Um, what like one of the main characters was in Tenabre. Yeah. Um, and it is also one of the video nasties. Okay. I don't know if it's like one of the ones that was. Um, uh, there's like two designations where like they were like prosecuted or not. I forget like which category mm -hmm. it falls into. Mm -hmm. um, but it like starts off and like immediately this woman is like ran off the road by this dude that like rapes and kills her. And then it flash forwards a certain amount of time. And this same guy is just like out and about doing stuff and gets invited to this like party kind of like through this weird happenstance like thing um, with all these like rich people. And then, starts to like torture them and like try to like rape them and stuff it's like Whoa. pretty weird that's kind of a i like this concept like this sounds yeah. interesting to me. uh it's got like a really awesome like kind kind of twist ending to it that like i didn't okay. necessarily see coming and so like i thought it was kind of boring like towards the middle of it where i was like oh like i don't know like this kind of just feels like it doesn't have a lot of interesting ideas but then the end i was like oh okay that's actually pretty interesting and i haven't really seen anything like it so um kind of unique as far as like rape revenge uh, i have seen in that way i feel like this is one of the movies that exhumed films plays the trailer for a probably lot. uh and so i've been interested to see this for a while i'm excited that you liked it enough that yeah. uh yeah okay cool yeah it's like one of like three or four video nasties that are all like the house on or <laughs> yeah, something yeah, yeah. yeah i i is that um and i think that's from the last house on the left last house on the left and then there's another one that has a similar title title too that i forget but well and i, I yeah i think i think it's like the success of last house on the left leads to all these like yeah. italian movies titling their movies like similarly. or like being re rebranded yeah, yeah, yeah. with a similar title right. like it yeah. may have been called something before and yeah. then it comes to the u.s um so yeah kind of a weird that. piece of history yeah um i watched it on youtube okay I think. so it's out there it's out there um and then we also watched one on easter together because i'm reviewing it for movie john we watched uh uh, Jacob's wife. Oh, you didn't want to talk about Dr. Mordred? Oh, I also do want to talk about Dr. Mordred, but I wanted to make sure I talked about like a newer one too. Yes, let's talk about Jacob's wife. Um, so this stars Robert Crampton, who we love and who we'll probably eventually do on this podcast. Yes. Um, but and, uh, Larry Fessenden. And Larry Fessenden. Uh, and they've been in stuff together, too, yes. which is fun. Yeah, one of your favorite movies. We Are Still Here? Is we Are Still called? Here. I really like that movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And so she is like the wife of uh, a pastor and uh, just be kind of becomes a vampire like that. There's like a vampire that's just kind of hanging out and yeah. biting people in this like abandoned, like, I don't know building like factory or something that the town doesn't use anymore and so this vampire just starts biting random people she gets bit and then like kind of gets some sort of like freedom and like has this like you know moment of being like oh like life could have been different like now I'm like speaking out for myself I'm like dressing the way I want to I'm like standing up for myself yeah she's like feels empowered by becoming a vampire um so it's like a you know, a pretty fun vampire movie that also is, like, about, like, this older couple getting to a certain point in their life, reflecting on, like, you know, the people they've come, become yeah. and, like, how they actually want their lives to be. Yeah, and yeah. it, like, ultimately is, like, really interesting and, like, has some really cute, like, character relationship moments in it, too. When it starts and, like, the vampire stuff gets into, which is very early, yeah. it's introduced, it's, like, a little, you're, like, a little, like, wait, okay, but, like, what's the actual tone of this movie? Yeah. And then, like, it, it kind of just, like, it's one of those movies that, like, it, it keeps kind of going beyond the premise. Like, yeah. every time you think you sort of, like, know what it's doing and kind of, like, what, it then kind of extends further beyond, like, what you assume mm-hmm. the premise is. Yeah. Which I really liked about Me it. Too. it. It just kind of, it keeps giving you more and more and more. And You're it gets, like, oh, we're doing this now. Yeah. Interesting. And it gets yeah. more interesting the more layers of that onion yeah. that it kind of, like, you know, reveals. Yeah. Um, I, I liked this movie quite a bit. This is one of my favorite things we've, like, yeah. 2021 movies we've seen. Me too. Yeah, so uh, that should, I think it's going to be available on Shudder, uh, like, mid-April. So by the time this is released, it'll be out. But, yeah, check it is out. Travis Knight the name of the director? Do I have that right? I can't remember. I think that's right. He, it's like, the director who did um, Girl on the Third Floor, and he's produced a lot of stuff, including um, We Are Still Here. Yes, that's um, what I was going to say. So definitely of this, like, group of, like, directors directors and writers and producers and actors and stuff um which is kind of cool um so yeah definitely worth uh checking that out but uh, travis stevens travis stevens travis stevens um but yes we did have a barbara crampton uh jeffrey combs double feature yeah. and we also watched dr mordred right dr mordred directed uh, by charles and albert band which i wanted to see specifically because someone posted like a still of jeffrey combs in this really amazing like robe and i yeah. love jeffrey combs Got a killer blue robe throughout uh, this movie. and we're like oh we have to see this obviously yeah. And it's like pretty wacky. It's like a fucking eighty minute, not even. It's seventy two minutes long. It's a seventy two minute long Doctor Strange yeah. knockoff. Like, why wouldn't you watch it? That is so entertaining. Yeah, it's it, really it fun. is not great, but it is really, really entertaining. Yeah. Combs is charming as he always is. Like, really fun. Yeah. Uh, the production design is fucking awesome. Yeah, it's cool. I loved his lair, which is apparently just a fucking apartment in New York. Yeah. He has a raven named Edgar Aller. Edgar Allen. It's like yep. very, it's very Combs. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's really fun. Uh, super entertaining. It's got yeah. this crazy villain performance. Uh, it's like, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I thought it was like, Remember that like watcher thing? It's just like these two eyeballs that pop up in a star. Oh field. yeah, that like, he like loved it. Yeah, that he it. like talks to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So check out Doctor Mordred. I think we watched it on Tubi. Yeah, it's it's just floating around on one of those yeah. like uh, you know commer- ad served uh, streaming services. Yeah, real fun. Yeah, really really fun. And that was our Combs cramped in Easter double. Yeah, feature. and it was it was a pretty good way to spend Easter. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. So let's chat about uh, today's 
episode. I was just going to say today's guest. It's today's subject, I guess. Yes, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, we don't have this person with us, I although wish. that would be very cool because she is now my idol. <laughs> uh, so we are doing Mako Kaji, uh, who's probably best known for her role in Lady Snowblood. I think that's probably like the most... Uh, Probably, I yeah. think, especially thanks to like Kill Bill paying such yeah. like direct homage to yeah, it. Yeah, so like if you've seen uh, Kill Bill Part One and seen Lucy Liu, like yeah. her outfit, aesthetic, like everything is based off of Mako Kaji. That whole finale um, in the snow is sort yeah. of a, a riff on yeah. um, the uh, finale of this movie, I think. Yeah, and the theme song even plays yeah, uh, yeah. at the end, which is sung by Mako Kaji because uh, she is also a singer, uh, which we'll talk about. Um, so she's amazing. We watched Lady Snowblood last year and really loved it. Yes, we did. Um, and kind of just started watching some of her other roles too, because uh, there are uh, she's in a lot of series that are uh, kind of available that we've had a chance to see, which is fun. Um, so we're we're big fans now. Yeah, I had like seen her in some stuff. It turned out and not realized, yeah. you know. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, she just, um, we'll talk about her career, yeah. but the nature of her career, she made these, a bunch of series of movies that yeah. are all fairly available. So it was yeah. like fun to kind of dig into some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is kind of different. Um, cause we haven't done like a, someone who's like an international star. Right. Uh, we haven't, um, we also haven't done, um, an Asian actor yet, which right. is interesting. And like, as of right now recording, like it's just recently that like the shooting happened, um, with the, in Atlanta, in Atlanta um, with, uh, the six, uh, Asian women, yeah. uh, who died. Um, so we wanted to make sure we also like used our platform to raise up, uh, Asian voices. And, yeah. um, she's someone who we really loved, uh, and recently like kind of found. Um, so we wanted to pay homage to her. Um, yeah. but you know, also talk about, um, Japanese culture uh, and like film history because we're going to get a little bit into that today too because uh, she kind of becomes a star at a really interesting point in Japanese cinema yeah. um, so it'll be fun to talk about I uh, you know I guess I can only speak for myself here but like I have sort of as I've become a Godzilla fan over the last couple of years I've been getting more and more into like just a lot of Japanese cinema yeah. Um, and, uh, I feel like I'm pretty ignorant on this topic, but mm -hmm. like, uh, learning a lot. And so yeah. I have like a lot of things that I'm interested in and I want to talk about, but like, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce things correctly. Yeah. I think there may be details that I probably could and should know more about. Mm -hmm. um, but I will try and speak on things that I feel like I have a little bit of knowledge yeah, on. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so another part of this, which is interesting, is um, although she has some film roles after the 70s, she kind of retires. So there are uh, some films then you know, TV shows and stuff she's in that we'll mention. But the other thing, too, is she was in a lot of movies and just a lot of them didn't get brought to the United right. States. So when you look up uh, her IMDb page, there are a ton of films that there is no like English title to right. them. Um, a lot of those you click on, there is no poster or information. Sometimes there is just a poster. There are like five or six movies that I want to watch based solely off the poster because there is no description. It doesn't list like a director. Right. Like some of these movies kind of just feel lost uh, and ones that we uh, unfortunately don't have a lot of information on. So yeah, we're going to try our best to talk about some of this, but that's another interesting aspect of this is that there is so much that because it didn't 
didn't have like a an English presence and didn't come overseas, like we just can't find some of these movies, uh, which is really yeah. unfortunate. Like we weirdly feel like we've watched more m- movies for this episode yeah. than we have for a lot of other actors, and yet we really have only seen like a very small drop in yeah. her career. Um, because they're all kind of centered around the same like three characters that she was playing. Yeah, you know? it's really really yeah. interesting. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited to talk about her and uh, just some interesting things that I learned through uh, trying to find information on her. Yeah, I mean, let's do it. Let's yeah. jump in. She's got 110 acting credits, and as you suggested. A majority of them are in the 60s and 70s. Yes. She um, did a lot of work in those decades. Yeah. Um, and in general, it seems like they kind of worked actors and directors and just people in the Japanese film industry, like, to the bone. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the people I look up, I looked up for this, like directors and other actors, had tons of acting credits, had tons of directorial credits, hadn't heard of, like, any of the movies they were in, but they did so much and also a lot of them did it in a really short amount of time too yeah, um yeah. so she's in she's will be in like five movies like in one year and it's wild how uh how much they worked uh these people yeah my understanding of like um you know japanese cinema at this time is that it's all kind of studio based mm-hmm. and people are signing these like crazy contracts Mm -hmm. with these studios where they are sometimes, you know, as you're suggesting, like directing five movies over the course of one year and not even having a lot of choice in what the, you know, they're literally being handed, like you will direct this movie. You will direct this movie. This movie needs to be an 80 minute Yakuza movie. That is also comedic. This movie needs to be, you know, they have like genres that they're making these movies Mm -hmm. and they're basically turning around a lot of product, fast and cheap. Yeah. Um, so fascinating moment um, yeah. in Japanese film history yeah. for her also to kind of become like a exploitation star. Yeah. Um, so Mako was born March 24th, 1947 in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, she graduated from the Yakumo a- Academy High School in Meguro, Tokyo. Um she first began acting in films in the mid '60s under her real name of Masako Oto or Ota. Um, she was given the stage name Maiko Kaji by director uh, Masahiro Makino, uh, who had 199 directorial credits. So, like, yeah, again, like these people worked so hard. Yeah. Um, she joined the Nikatsu Studio while still in her teens, appearing in many films for that particular company. Yeah. Uh, now, what's interesting is we kind of talked about how people would sign these contracts and work with these particular companies. So um, around the 70s, Nikatsu switched uh, what they were filming almost exclusively to making porn and what they called Pinku Ega films, which are pink films. Yeah. Uh, so kind of these like sexy naked exploitation action movies of the time Mm -hmm. um so she left nikatsu studio before doing any of those kind of films um but then she did similar films for a company called toei uh studios who she did a lot of films with um so mako also has this like um 
a musical background. She joined several rock bands in college. In 1964, she was briefly a member of the Hilda Weishler Big Band uh, and said the experience was significant to her career. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, So her acting career was really closely tied with her singing career, which uh, apparently was not uncommon either. Um, The practice of actors and actresses pursuing singing careers had long been established in the Japanese film and entertainment industry, which I thought was really interesting. Not something yeah, I knew. Yeah. Um, I feel like that started increasing in America in like the nineties. Yes. Right. Like yeah. more crossover artists, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Yeah. Um, and so one thing we'll talk about a lot is that uh, Mako has this really distinct face and look and eyes specifically. Yeah, yeah. Um, she does so much acting without saying like before she even says anything on screen which is wild she's an incredible like screen presence yeah um a note here i have is a cultural commentator um hanako fukui uh described her screen presence uh her soft facial features are offset by an intense stare that could be either for forbidden uh fascinating or both uh, her appearance as the woman in black suggests severe, implacable justice, but her calm demeanor and motherly voice was unexpectedly soothing. Um, so she, yeah, they like describe her paradoxical kind of features along with her acting, and it's uh, it all makes for really interesting cinema. Yeah, yeah, she's like, any t- we've commented a lot while watching her movies. There yeah. would be a lot of scenes where you're just like, you're really just wa- watching her. Yeah, but it's like such captivating cinema. Yeah. Um, so one thing we talked a little bit about, um, was that the Japan film industry, uh, had its golden age, uh, before like the, the early sixties. Um, so you have a lot of, um, what's the director's name? I'm totally going to blank. Oh, Akira Kurosawa. Yeah. You had like Kurosawa and these like, you know, really like amazing bigger budget films that were coming out. And then there was this uh, huge decline in the output quality and acclaim for the films that were coming out around the time that she becomes like a star. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kaji blames the film studios for this big decline. Um, she says, for the most part, movie companies are geared for the highest profit margin and somehow they do make money. That's all they seem to care about, no matter the quality of the output. Uh, movies are culture, and culture is meant to help the nation, to help the new generation dream. Uh, the whole industry needs to aspire to higher things. Right now, culturally, we're very poor, and we're not growing. I fucking love this yeah. quote from her. She's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, it's also interesting uh, hearing her kind of reflect on uh, just the state of the Japanese film industry. Well, and this quote will be interesting to keep in mind as we talk here because as she, you know, dives in, I think especially when she gets to Toei, Mm -hmm. um, she seems to take a little bit of creative control over her career and and tries to sort of push some of the boundaries that are inflicted on them as they're trying to make these, like, tight studio movies. Yeah. Um, So she started uh, being in films in the 1960s. Um, Another quote I have from her talks about uh, 
So before the, she says, before the films in 1969, it was pretty much relegated to playing a high school or college student. Uh, these were the first films that I had larger roles and also often had to do with sword choreography at the same time. Yeah. It was difficult at first because it was so new to me. Of course, I ended up learning how to do it, but it's very hard to work to master the sword forms. You really have to know traditional Japanese dance to master postures to work out the balance and choreography. I had to train for a long time. That's so interesting. Yeah. And like crazy to think about, like we didn't get to see any of these movies where she was like just playing like a student. You yeah. know, I don't know how many of these are actually available. They mostly have Japanese titles. Yeah, most of the ones from the 60s at this time when she is playing younger students were ones that had very little information. So there's a there's like a lot of films that we might just totally skip over yeah. and I won't talk about yeah. um, because it's like I could give you a name that I pronounce badly with right. no other information. But it's very interesting yeah. to me that like she makes this like kind of it sounds like dramatic leap, yes. right? From yeah. basically just young to like <laughs> adult that also is good at swords. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is like a significant kind yeah. of like leap in her career and ends up like really obviously yeah. like redefining her career. Well, yeah. And it's just like another thing that is like, you know, asked of her on yeah, top of right. being a singer and an yeah, actress. Yeah. She also has to learn like how to be a swordsman yeah. on top of everything. It's yeah. so wild. Um, so her first role was in 1965. Uh, there are a couple of these I was able to translate uh, what they meant in English. So this film translates to Adventure with That Guy, yeah. uh, which is a drama. Uh, she goes on the same year to do a, a film called The Symbol of a Man, uh, The Rule for a Vagabond, which was a Yakuza action drama. Uh, would watch. Great uh too long title yeah uh, uh, really into it there's so many of those too yeah. long titles too uh in 1966 she was in a, a film called seishun agogo which was a musical would like to see that just because love this lady's voice yeah and then she was in an action drama called shimatsuri uh kankajo uh which i believe kankajo means fight uh, okay. when i looked it up so shimatsuri fight yeah um, she's then in a film the same year that uh, is known as Goodbye, Mr. Namita, and then a film called Your Life, uh, which is a, they described a, a seishun, which uh, translates to youth romance drama. Seishun romance, yeah. okay. Um, and she starred in that film with uh, Tetsuyo Watari, who was the star of Tokyo, Tokyo Drifter, uh, uh, which is a film that I, we have watched and like a lot. I love Tokyo Drifter. Yeah. Uh, this actor, Tetsuya Watari, is also a musician who became a mm -hmm. movie star. Um, he sings his own theme throughout yeah. uh, Tokyo Drifter. Uh, and I can't remember, I don't think we've seen any of the movies that uh, Mako ended up starring in with him, but I would love to see them together. Um, they were in a, a lot bunch. of films together. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I would love to see them together. Yeah. And he'd be an interesting person to talk about. He actually just died last year, yeah, um, I know. which I saw, which was interesting to you. Um, yeah. Because I think I've only seen him in Tokyo Drifter that I know of, at least. Yeah. As far as I know, I think yeah. that's all I've seen him in. Um, and that film as well, Your Life, was uh, directed by uh, Buchi uh, Sato, uh, who directed one of the young wolf and cub films called uh, Baby Cart in Peril. Yeah, the, <laughs> those lone wolf and cub movies yeah. are like, uh, I'm dying to see them. Yeah. These, these are like, I already own the Blu-ray set and just have yet to hit play, basically. Um, she then does a film called uh, Yogiri no Bojo, which is a film from Nakatsu's uh, what they call Mudo Akushon. 
which means mood slash action subgenre. It's so interesting. So I also I'm also interested in just like how they designate films and the subgenres that exist uh, in Japan because I found quite a few of them doing this research too. There's a bunch of them, and like I've seen a bunch of movies that the Nakatsu Studios yeah. made. Arrow has released these sets called Nakatsu Diamond Guys. I've yeah. seen a couple of those. It seems to me like. They made a lot of different genre stuff. And as you said before, like they mm-hmm. kind of devolve into making more like pornographic stuff. Yeah. But like a lot of their stuff was like, and we, w- we did watch, I think at least one movie of hers that wasn't a Katsu I movie. I believe so. Yeah. And like they have this weird, oh, cause the stray cat movies, I think are in a Katsu movies. I think so. Yeah. And they have this weird, like comedic bent to them. Mm. Like pretty much everything the Katsu did, it seemed like there was a note of like, yeah, but also this has to be silly. Which is just a weird yeah. thing that that studio was doing. Which, yeah, also interesting that you can like feel a difference in like the films based yeah. on what studio they were coming out of. I uh, definitely, the more yeah. I've watched these, I feel like I can, and it makes sense to me that she went to Toei after Nakatsu because of what I know about like the differences between the output of those studios. Yeah. You know? Um, she was then in a film which uh, translated to Storm Man, uh, yeah. another one that she was in with uh, Watari, yeah. uh, which was directed by um, Toshio Masuda, who directed Toro Toro Toro. Which uh, I've never seen, but one it's... of the few movies that I was like, oh, I kn- I remember this and I saw it in school, like in yeah. history class. I mean, this is like one of the great like historical Japanese yeah, movies for yeah. sure. Um, in 1967, she did a film with uh, Yojiro Ishihara, another actor who like had just an insane amount of credits mm. and probably one that we saw uh, some of their stuff before. Right. Um, same year, she does a film called Kato, uh, which also was directed by Toshiya Masa- Masudo, mm. uh, one of a duo of Ninkuyo films uh, dealing with violent Yakuza clan conflict. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, yes, let's talk about this. So this is yeah, interesting. this film starred Akira Kobayashi, who was from the Battles Without Honor or Humanity series, which yeah. I know you really like. Love those. Bought that um, Arrow set because I just love these movies. Yeah, so when I, I was like trying to look up some of this stuff, um, what they talked about is specifically that there are two types of Yakuza films that emerged in the 50s and 60s. 60s. One's called uh, Nikio Ega, uh, which is a chivalry film, they called, mm-hmm. uh, which usually has like uh, an outlaw as the star, um, typically people like torn between like a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's uh, Jitsu. <laughs> I'm so bad at this. I think it's Jitsuroku. Jitsuroku Ega, which means actual record film. So these are like more historically based Yakuza films, like on things that actually happened. So this is interesting because I think this helps me with like my impression of these studios Mm -hmm. is that Nikatsu is leans more towards the Ninkyo Ega. Yeah. The ones that are like very fictionalized Yakuza films. Some of them are like funny. They're like these weird like Yakuza Mm -hmm. comedies. Um, Whereas, and I I actually don't know off the top of my head which studio um, made the Battles Without Honor or Humanity. I Mm -hmm. think it's Toei. I think those are Toei movies. I'm not positive about that. But those Battles Without Honor and Humanity movies are literally based on Mm -hmm. something called the Yakuza Papers. They're like meant to be you know, they're movies, but they're meant to be like historical documents. Interesting. Yeah. So they fall more into the, the actual record. Yes, they're they're Jitsuroku Ega, okay. I think. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um Yeah, because I was wondering, I was like, oh, I wonder how I would really tell with these movies, like which one I was going into. 
Um, I would say in the case of what I just described, it would be like immediately very obvious. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure there's probably some fine lines that exist yeah. in there as well. Um, in 1968, she was in a film called Outlaw Gangster VIP 2, uh, which also starred Watari. I would uh, like to see these movies. I've heard good things about these movies. Okay, that's cool. Um, in uh, the same year, she was in a film called Retaliation um, from director uh, Yashihuro Hasabi, who directed the Stray Cat Rock movies, or at least most of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the film, <laughs> I wrote down just like what it was about. So fresh out of prison, Yakuza Lieutenant, uh, Jiro Sega is recruited by a new gang to help defeat a powerful rival family in this bloody, stylish crime film that inspired Japanese Yakuza films of the 1970s, which is interesting. I really want to see this one. I know yeah. you're less interested in the Yakuza kind of like crime family yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel I, like crime movies in general aren't like my favorite genre. Yeah, they're like less I like a thing. lot of them, yeah. but like I just never feel like watching one. I totally get it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's way more my speed, and so like I'm yeah. very interested in this one. But what was funny to me was this description that applies to literally every Yakuza movie I've ever seen. It's like they're all literally about like these like rival yeah. families, and you you spend the whole movie yeah. being like, wait. But who's betraying who? Like, you, it, they, they get so yeah. deep with these, like, layers of, like, who is working under who and for who. And, like The ones I've seen, I feel like I've been having, like, trouble following a little bit. And I feel like eventually I get it, but it, it it's, like, the first, like, 20 minutes. Yeah. I'm, like, just meeting people and being, like, okay, how do these people interact? What's their deal? I find them all very difficult to follow. And initially I thought it was, like, oh, I'm just a dumb American mm-hmm. that doesn't know how to tell all these Japanese people apart. Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And now that I've seen a lot of them, it's, like, no, this is, like, noir. This is, like, part of this yeah. genre that, like, it, you're almost meant to, I think, feel like the characters do, which is, like, inside of these families there's, like, so many layers of control yeah. and different... Like, it um, is actually as complicated as it probably exactly. feels. Exactly, and yeah. so it's like you, you feel lost in the midst of yeah. it, you know, and I think that's maybe part of the genre. Um, same year, she does a film, which I had to translate it because it's, like, one of those long titles, and it uh, translated to, I'm glad I gave it, and it's about a 19-year-old girl trying to lose her virginity, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> At least we know she's happy that, that uh, this happened. Yeah, she's glad. She's glad she gave it. Uh, she was in a film called uh, Man's Commandments, uh, which was another um, Ninkyo Yakuza film. Mm, okay. Um, in 1969, she starred in Cruelty of Women's Lynch Law with Anu Mari, who was in um, an Ultraman special, uh, which alley. we just started watching some Ultraman recently. Yeah. Um, this is another film that like doesn't have any real description or information, but has an incredible poster of like women fighting each other. Uh, one's like holding a knife to the other one's neck, and oh, wow. uh, yeah. want to find it. Pretty awesome. Yeah, and I mean, you know, as we'll discuss a little more as we get uh, a little later into her life, I, not knowing what this movie is actually about, just based on title, cruelty of uh, women's lynch law. This feels like something that she would be interested in, like, yeah. like politically and stuff. For sure. You know? it, like, it feels like one of the early versions of the stuff she becomes yeah, like yeah. famous for. Right. Yeah. Um, six, in 1969, she was in a film called uh, Retsuden uh, Shume Tobak, uh, which was another uh, film that she did with 
uh, Cheiko Matsubara, who was the lead female in Tokyo Drifter. She was like the love interest. Yeah, the woman that like plays piano in that club and yeah. stuff. That, yeah, yeah, that's um, cool. And it's another one that's about like a woman who becomes the boss of her clan after her father dies, that's which we talked a little bit about because cool. I, I, I asked you just because I know you've seen more Yakuza yeah. movies than me, but we watched one where the the female like takes the lead of the family and I was like is that common and you were like I haven't seen many yeah but not that I know of but I mean if she, she was at least into it turns yeah out. which so is they cool must, that must be something that was happening um but yeah I mean most of the Yakuza stuff I've seen has been like very male dominated yeah um and then the last film she did in the 60s I have down here is called the cleanup uh, which she was in with Watari again uh, it was described as a modern yakuza film with uh, Mi Hama from King Kong versus Godzilla and King Kong Escapes I know exactly who they mean Oh that's uh, fun really good Japanese actor he, I like both of those King Kong movies and he's he's good in them Yeah um, so then we get to the 70s, which is really like the sweet spot of Mako's career. So um, I have a couple notes here. Um, one is that under the umbrella of exploitation cinema, pinky violence is a specific subgenre used to describe Japanese films in which a certain degree of nudity and violence goes hand in hand. Um, in an essay uh, about pinky violence, uh, there was someone named Alicia Kozma who argues that these films often show women as strong independent outlaws who take it up against the established order. Uh, the films follow their exploits as they struggle to maintain their independence in the face of threats from the male-dominated political system and the traditional criminal underworld. Um, so even though these are like exploitation films, there is like a really el- interesting element to these like pinky violence films yeah. that they call um it's interesting that she uh it makes sense to me that this is something she sort of like got interested in yeah um and then another note i have here is that um kaji like kind of defied industry expectations with some of the roles she picked uh she passed up certain roles that may have like potentially made her more famous or made her more famous in a specific subgenre um but preferred working with like certain filmmakers and like really took her acting seriously so she was kind of particular about what she starts to pick uh in the 70s too it's really interesting um, uh, hey, I want to correct myself really quick. I looked up Mihama uh, mm-hmm. from those King Kong movies. Female actress, not I was. Uh, there's an actor that's in both of those movies oh, that I assume okay. this was referencing. Interesting. And uh, this is an actress that's in both of those movies. Wanted to correct myself. Um, so in 1970, she's in a film called um, Hengyaku No Melody, uh, which is another one of these um, Yakuza films. Um, it says the disbandment of the Tano clan left gang member Tetsu uh, to stray from the crime family fold. He roamed the street as a one-man band wearing a denim jacket and long hair with sunglasses to cover his piercing eyes. Oh, that's a very <laughs> cool description. I, I was going to say. See that. <laughs> I was like, I love that that's specifically what this movie's about. Yep. Um, and then she stars in the first of uh, five films in the Stray Cat Rock series. Uh, so the first one is Stray Cat Rock Delinquent Girl Boss. Yeah. Uh, it's about a wandering biker girl who aids a female delinquent gang in their battle against a uh, toxic like male group, uh, which That's is interesting. pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, we might as well be upfront about the fact that we watched only the last film in this series. Yeah, so, so we'll get to that when we get to that. But so... We have seen a Stray yeah. Cat Rock movie. It's just we didn't see any of the early ones. Yeah, so I ordered a box set of them yeah, uh, that was released by Arrow that has not come to us it's yet. It's not arrived yet. So we're waiting on it, um, and the only one that I could easily find was the last in the series. Yeah. So um, 
you know, we, so we, won't get to we will on watch these. these. Yet, but, We're excited to yeah. watch these. Uh, but yeah, still still taking a while to actually get yeah. to us. Uh, it, the only place it was really streaming was on, I guess Arrow has a streaming service. They do, yes, yes. Which is like, fuck, I want that streaming service now. That sounds great. That. Um, but the same year, she's in a film called Blind Women's Curse uh, from director uh, Teruyo Ishii, uh, which is a film that we watched. Yes. Uh, and... This one, I think, is one that we found on uh, Amazon. Uh, it was streaming, mm-hmm. um, which was cool. Um, so in this film, um, Meiko Kaji plays the leader of a Yakuza gang. She takes over after her father dies um, and is kind of, like, haunted by this, like, tragedy where, like, she's going up against another family and accidentally, like, blinds a woman um, who's trying to protect her dad uh, or her brother, I think it is. Um, And so all of this, like, you know, it's it feels like a fairly typical Yakuza film, just from what I know, where it is, like, the struggles between these different clans. Um, But then it also has this kind of weird, like, paranormal element to it, which I don't know if that's super common or not in ones that you've seen. Not that I've seen. Okay, but I found it very interesting. Well, because what I have seen uh, is at least two, like, Japanese horror movies that are based around black cats. Um, There's a lot. I think that's like I've a, seen one as well. I think that's like a thing, right? Like, like yeah. black cat horror. I think is like a the, yeah. almost its own Japanese subgenre. I don't yeah. know for sure if it's subgenre, but like it's another thing I want to write about because there are so many of them. And so it's very interesting to me that it feels like this movie is like blending two kind of yeah. like disparate genres together. Yeah, because there is a lot of like, you know, phantasmagoric type stuff in this movie. Yeah, even though it is like fairly grounded Yakuza story otherwise, you know? And it's just an interesting kind of blending of those two things. Yeah. And the whole thing with her, like, accidentally blinding a woman is very interesting and kind of, like, plays out in weird ways throughout the movie. Yeah. Especially because I'm a huge fan of John Woo's The Killer, which I don't know if it's taking it from this movie specifically, Mm. but is about someone that accidentally blinds somebody. Yeah. It's a very different story about that, but is similarly sort of, like, you know, someone haunted by this, like, thing that they accidentally did. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, she, uh, you know, she goes to prison for a while, is released, and is still, like, haunted by this, like, this woman that she potentially hurt. Um, Little does she know, that woman is behind the scenes, like, kind of helping gear this, like, war between, like, another clan, uh, which ends up causing, like, a lot of the main drama of the film. Yeah. but yeah, this movie was really fun. One of the interesting aspects of it was the beginning fight scene um, that you're just watching as the credits are rolling. Um, so she's so the leader of this good. gang. She like takes her shirt off and you see that she has this dragon tattoo. And then the other people in her clan also have this dragon tattoo that literally like connects through their backs. So it becomes a whole dragon when they stand next to each other. And so they end up fighting as this like kind of solid like group. Like they're they're all standing next like side by side. Like a unit of five. Yeah. yeah, It's so interesting. And yeah. uh, Yeah. Really, really cool imagery. God, she looks so cool with a big tattoo. Awesome. And like, uh, I don't uh, know enough about this, but like, this is like typical I've seen of a lot of these movies where like, um, uh, swordsmen in Japanese movies always have these like 
wraps around yeah. her upper body. Yeah. Uh, which was an interesting thing to me where like it allowed for her to basically be like topless throughout the movie without having to be topless. So yeah. they can do the like dragon tattoo across her back yeah. without it being overly sexualized. That's like, interesting because when I saw it, I specifically was like, oh, they're doing this for the women because then there's like these women that she meets in prison yeah. join her clan yep. and also get these tattoos. Yeah, no, that's like, I've seen that in a yeah. lot of uh, uh, Japanese movies where there's something about being like a samurai or a swordsman mm. that that's like a part of the attire is like that. I just rap. know that Mulan did it in the animated movie uh-huh. to hide that she was a woman, right. which I also think is interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean this, uh, this has like some pretty fun action. There's a lot of like really weird characters in this movie too. Yeah, There's like that uh, rival gang. Boss. Oh God. And he doesn't wear pants. Yes. is his whole thing. Yes. And it's really disturbing. And, they, and like the camera is constantly settling itself, like just behind his butt cheeks. And they also just keep talking about the fact that he smells really bad, yeah. which just like seeing his butt and then hearing that he smells terrible. I was like, ew, I yeah. hate this character yeah. Yeah. so much. Yeah. Um, but like, like, Mako's fantastic in it. This is, yeah. like, kind of a different role than, like, I guess more of her iconic ones. Yes. Just in, like, just in how she acts. Because in a lot of her roles, she's a little bit more stoic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she, she has, has to be this, like... A lot like, of dialogue yeah. here, like, more so yeah. than her other stuff. She has to be this leader that's making decisions for her clan. Which also, like, it seems like the other clans are, like, kind of make fun of them for having, like, a girl leader right. uh but it seems like it's never brought up within her clan which i loved that aspect of the film i thought yeah. they were going to make a bigger deal about the fact that she was their leader right but it seems like overall like there is this like overarching like respect for her and they like are never actually questioning her and her decisions which was like very impressive there's I thought. this whole thing in yakuza movies and my understanding is that like this is a larger kind of japanese cultural thing but where everything is about honor and respect. Yeah. And so because she is the daughter of the former leader of the clan, Mm -hmm. uh, and he named her as like the sort of successor upon his passing or whatever, it's like just the clan is unquestioning of that. Yeah. Like that is part of how they honor and respect him is they are unquestioning of his successor. You know what I mean? It's pretty neat. Yeah. I love that. Um, so yeah, she does Blind Woman's Curse. Then she does another Stray Cat Rock movie, which all of these are in the 70s except for one, uh, which is insane. Which is in 1971. And by the way, when yeah. we watched it in the end credits, it said 1970 copyright. Yeah. So all five of these movies were made within a year. Yeah. Um, so the second Stray Cat Rock movie is called Wild Jumbo, uh, where the group tries to rob 30 million yen from a religious group. <laughs> Best fucking plot synopsis I've ever heard in my life. I and need to see this movie right This away. one was the one that was directed by um, Toshia Fujita, who does um, Lady Snowblood, cool. which we love. Yes, yes. Uh, The next Stray Cat film is Stray Cat Rock Sex Hunter. Woo-hoo. Definitely the best name. Yes. A street girl gang clashes with a racist local gangster after one of the girls starts dating an Afro-Japanese man. Whoa, that's interesting. Interesting plot. Uh, she's then in a film called uh, Step on the Gas, uh, another with Watari um, that had a really amazing poster, again, but no information besides that. <laughs> um, and then she does another Stray Cat Rock movie, uh, Stray Cat Rock Machine Animal. Um, Machine Animal. Two Japanese men help a Vietnam, wa- a Vietnam War deserter escape uh, from Japan for Sweden. 
Uh, they huh. plan to fund the escape by selling LSD pills. All right. Um, so one, I mean, we only saw the one Stray Cat Rock movie, but one thing that's interesting, so they are this, like, kind of hippie group of, like, you know, younger people that are kind of in a gang and that, like, are doing stuff like selling drugs and, like, committing um, crimes, but they're kind of just, like, this, like, oh, we're all, like, free-loving and, like, playing music. And I mean, I'm very curious from these descriptions of the other ones uh, how many of the characters in the one we watched are even from these other movies. Yeah, I, I think from what I know, there's a decent amount of, yeah. like, crossover, right. but we just watched the last one. Yeah, so. which is next year, uh, Stray Cat Rock, Beat 71. Yes, uh, so this was the series Swan Song and the last film that she does uh, with Nakatsu Studios. Yeah. Um, so this film was, I mean, she's kind of at the center of the plot, but unfortunately, she, like, she actually isn't in it that much. She's not but in it very much at all. At the very beginning of the film, her boyfriend gets into a fight, kills someone, and is then, like, captured, and she is blamed for the murder, um, and escapes from prison, tries to, like, find her boyfriend and maybe clear her name, um... But there's also this, like, larger political scheme that the yes. boyfriend's involved in. Um, so then her gang tries to, like, go and help her and rescue her uh, from Yeah, this movie's like a partner. kind of a rescue mission movie, right? Yeah. So, you know, she's in it. She also sings in this one, too, yeah. which is, like, really beautiful. And um, there's, like, a great fucking musical number where, like, a band just fucking pulls up on yeah. a truck and plays a song, and it's great. So that's another thing we're interested in watching these movies, if that's also a thing, where there yeah. are just these, like, moments of, like musical parts where it has nothing to do with the larger story, but we just stop and listen to a band play for a while. It was a killer song. It was like really good. Yeah. And they even comment some like the band leaves, they're like, oh, like that was a weird thing to see. And then they just like go on with like trying to save their friend. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny. And uh, this movie was like, I enjoyed it. It was, you know, it was pretty good. It was pretty fun. It's got kind of like hangout vibes. You know, you you spend a lot of time just kind of like hanging out with these hippies. You know, just they're being like weirdos and kind of being like a little anarchic. I can definitely see like what she might have found appealing yeah. about these movies. Yeah. They or at least this one had a very anarchic kind of like undertone to yeah. it, in my opinion. Um uh but the finale felt like a spaghetti western to me. And so that yeah. I really got into. That was really cool. Where they're like blowing up a mine with dynamite. Like yeah. it got like really weird. It also has like a weird, like bummer ending to it that yeah. doesn't really fit with like kind of the more playful tone of yeah. like the larger movie. But I guess is, they knew they were wrapping this series. Yeah, so maybe up, they so. tried to give it this more like yeah. definitive end. Yeah. Uh but very, very strange. Yeah. Um, pretty fun. It made yeah, me want to watch fun. the other ones. Yeah. Um another movie where she ends up in prison, which is yes, a thing that like happens I kept thinking about that when we watched this yep. too, where I was like, oh, she like ends up in prison in a lot of movies that we yep. watch. Yep. Um but yeah, I, I enjoyed this. She was really good in it. It's interesting seeing her play a character that is just kind of like the side, like love interest mm-hmm. and not necessarily like the the star of the film. Um, this is more of an ensemble cast too, which is part of it. But, yeah. you know, it's interesting as she moves away from this and does become more of like the focus in these films. Yeah. And uh, one of the characters in this, like to me looked a lot like the way uh, Sung Kang Ho is like stylized as a character mm-hmm. in the good, the bad, the weird, which is a Korean movie. I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's true, but it seemed very similar to me. Um, another film that there's, like, no information on but has, like, a dope poster. Uh, she was in a film called Frontline of the Night Secret Zone of Tokyo. Great, Great fucking name. title. 
Uh, she then does a film called uh, Blood for Blood, which was another Yakuza saga. Ooh, that's a um, good title. Yeah. Uh, 1972, she's in Wandering Ginza Butterfly, a film that we really wanted to find yeah. and had trouble with. We couldn't get um, this one. We but it's another try. female-led uh, like fight action film. And another one where it seems like she does a decent amount of like sword play. Her own like, choreography and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, I think this one like is also like maybe not like an arrow or like criterion set, but there was like a kind of expensive set, like on Amazon so or something. Put Someone's put it out. There's two of them, I think, right? Yeah, but maybe it's out of print, which okay. is the reason why we could not find it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, another series that she does. Um, and then she uh, has the first of her female prisoner number 701 Scorpion films. <sighs> female prisoner Scorpion. Yes. I uh, fucking love these movies. This, these movies rock. Uh, they're based on a popular manga, which I didn't realize until like I started doing a little bit more research. But... Uh, she is in four of these movies, and then there is eventually they like go on to do like new female prisoner. Right, I think there's some more. So there's more that have like other actresses starring in it, but she's stars in the first four of these. Yeah. Um, and this is we we talked about this a little bit where you know I have trouble with films like this that like are portraying prisoners like in a yeah. particular yeah. light or prisons in a particular mm-hmm. light um, just kind of knowing what we know and how fucked up our criminal justice mm-hmm. system is um, and these films also all begin with this like disclaimer that's uh what's it say like, N- none of what you are about to see here can make any claim to being anything like the reality of the yeah, Japanese prison system. Which or is something really, like it's that. really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Feels like government mandated. Like you can't let anybody think anything bad yeah. happens behind those walls. Yeah, because obviously you have like prisoners who are like doing like things they're not supposed to, yeah. like acting out violently. But then also you have like all of the. Um, guards we see and the warden like are all pretty corrupt yes um and this is like a film that uh she goes to prison and is like kind of uh, well she tries to like kill her police officer boyfriend after he has her framed (laughs) and like raped by a gang this is wild that i fully forgot that this is like the kind of premise of this so she goes to prison because she tries to like stab him um so she's just like there like kind of waiting it out hoping to to get out at some point right and it's one of those things where it's like we as the audience know that this is all very unjust yeah Yeah. um, but we know what it looks like to the people that have put her in prison or whatever yeah um and then you know you have the warden that's trying to like break her down because she doesn't really talk um she has very little dialogue as this character um and then there's like the other prisoners who are trying to like get at her for different things and eventually her like corrupt ex-boyfriend tries to like get other prisoners to murder her in prison so she won't get out yes um, yeah there's like w- there's some reason that he's like if she gets out it's like a big problem for because she whatever. she knows that he's like a dirty cop and has ties to right, this okay, like yeah. this gang right right she's got information basically yeah. that he can't have get yeah. out of that prison with her basically yeah. or she's gonna get out and try to straight up murder yes, you again right. <laughs> See, he does seem to understand that she's like very dangerous yeah um she's fucking such a badass yeah she's incredible in this this movie movie. um one of the notes that i had were the scenes of violence in this in this series are made really surreal which is one of her trademark techniques um so using um 
uh, ethereal ambient music while slowing down or blurring the action. She said it came from her fascination with the intersection of violence and beauty, and the intended effect was not to make audiences enjoy violence, but to disorient them, um, which is something we both really liked about this movie, too, was, like, as soon as, like, the moments of, like, violence start to occur it gets like really weird and trippy the whole movie is pretty surreal in my opinion yeah like even the way the jailhouse is depicted is often in these kind of surrealistic ways where like the the black spaces seem to go on forever around the characters and things like that it seems to be trying to evoke the I guess what they want us to think the feeling of being there is as opposed to the reality of being there. Um, There's a scene too at the beginning where you see the flashback of her getting raped and the floor is like completely glass. So the camera's all the way underneath and it creates this like weird effect where you're kind of, you're more, I guess in her shoes and like seeing what's happening to her than like, like identifying with the perpetrators so you see these like disgusting lewd men on top of her cheering like each other on and it's i guess one of the more interesting like rape scenes that i've seen it's really in a film interesting because with the cam because they do the the um the what would you say like translucent floor yeah, yeah. right so that they can have the camera be actually underneath and actually behind her as yeah. this horrific thing is happening we often see that depicted as you're suggesting, from like over top of the perpetrators, Mm -hmm. because that's where you would put a camera, I guess, you know what I mean? But because they do this thing that allows them to have the camera underneath, all I could, I wasn't focused on her, and this is going to sound bad, but I I think we'll come around, but like, I wasn't focused on her, I was focused on their faces. Yeah. And it felt like her, like, it did feel like I was being put in the shoes of the victim. Yeah. Where like, you know, what I hear about stories and stuff is like, that's what you remember is you remember the faces of the, these people and like, you know, and so it was like, it just felt like I was like being brought into that experience in a way that is very rare. I think Mm -hmm. in, in a lot of, especially as you and I watch more and more of these like rape revenge movies. Yeah. Um, It definitely felt unique. And, and there was something like powerful about that framing of it. Yeah. Um, A couple notes about this movie too. So it was directed by um, Shunya Ito who directed the first three female prisoner movies. Um, He's also credited on the Kill Bill soundtrack, probably because Mako also sings the theme song for female prisoner. Um, So one note I have here about was like the script. Um, So she says the script was ready and I saw that they had kept most of the obscenities the characters spoke in the comics. Um, I told him that was unacceptable, that it would end up making the film seem cheap and sleazy and that taking them out was one of my conditions for accepting the role. He agreed with me and came to believe it would be more interesting if my character hardly spoke any dialogue except for a few important sentences. We decided we could convey what Scorpion was thinking, what she was going to do next, by the performance, by the visual instead of the verbal. So we had to work hard on the visuals. What we did was quite radical and a new concept. One, Once the movie was released, it became a huge hit, both because of the manga's popularity and because of the unique way we approached Scorpion's character. Um, the fact that we had her barely speak at all was quite sensational. Um, and really, it, it yeah, it's so interesting. Like, one of the things I read about her was, like, it kind of makes you think of, like, silent films when actors were evoking so much just with their faces and with their body and what they were doing because they couldn't speak mm-hmm. in those roles. Um, and so she does so much visual work in a way that I don't 
think I really have ever seen from another actor before. Well, what's interesting is like the silent hero is definitely a trope in movies, but it is almost exclusively a male action trope. Yeah. I love these characters. The driver is one of these characters. Gosling plays one in Drive. Yeah. Um, you know, these these kind of silent protagonists are like kind of a staple of action movies mm-hmm. that I really like. I really dig on this. like, And I don't think I've ever seen a female version of it until seeing these movies. Yeah. And it's so powerful, yeah. especially with her. I mean, her eyes and her face are just like incredible. And she really does like convey so much about Scorpion just by the way she like interacts with the world, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Oh man, it, this movie kicks so much ass and she is so fucking good in this movie. Like Lady Snowblood is probably the movie to see that she stars in, but yeah. I, these to me are like the kind of like, uh, this is really like, I, I don't know, this is more my zone. And, and I actually think I maybe like Lady Snowblood blessed of all, best of all of this stuff, mm-hmm. but like this is more my zone. I really dig these yeah. movies. These are so cool and weird. They're very surreal. Yeah. But like in a way that uh, um, it is not just surreal for surreal's sake. It, it actually helps tell the story. It's really, yeah. really effective. Um, yeah. One of the one of the notes I have is about her stare. Um, this uh, critic I found writes, uh, Matsu returns the male gaze with her black eyes, wide open like an abyss where every insult, every abuse, every maltreatment is absorbed. In the iconic close-up of the Spaghetti Western, the male's eyes are narrow lines which hardly allow light to enter. In the ultra close-up, Matsu's eyes are wide open showing the white around the iris, a terrifying abyss. Such a cool quote. Yeah, it's it really very... is, like, it's true, like, when something terrible happens to her in these movies, and for the most part, like you're watching like an hour of terrible things happen Ex- before she gets a, the her moment to shine. Almost exclusively bad things happen and to her. And she's always just staring at these people. Yeah. And it's like, you can tell she is clocking every single thing that happens to her or happens to other people that yeah. is not right. Yeah. And she is going to do something about it. She's making her Kill Bill list like in yeah. her mind. You yeah, know? she like yeah. does not forget anything. Yeah. She is like, ultra observant yeah. uh it's it's pretty impactful it's really really cool um another thing about this movie that i wrote was that it took a pretty long time for them to make this movie by japanese exploitation standards uh this took them four months instead of the usual three weeks of shooting That's which is hilarious to, to me. me i mean what's insane to me about that is what i know of these studios I don't know why they would have allowed that. Like that, it seems like something that, especially yeah. on an unknown. Like if this were the second or third female Scorpion movie, they obviously yeah. made more of these. I'm assuming. Do although it's hard to tell. They make these so close together. Yeah. It's like there wouldn't have even been. Well, time if there for was one a manga, successful, but yeah. yes, I guess you're right. This has some precedence for like. Yeah. We are adapting a thing that's already popular. Yeah, like people. That makes people sense. want this. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, after she does the first female prisoner film, she is in the sequel to Wandering Ginza Butterfly called She Cat Gambler. Cool, great title. Uh, which has uh, Sunny Chiba also in the film, Sunny which I thought Chiba. was interesting. Yeah, another very very famous Japanese genre actor. Yeah, um, and then she does the second female prisoner Scorpion film called Jailhouse Forty One. Also uh, awesome. Yeah, also a really good title. Um, in this one, it's mostly about her kind of facing off against the warden, uh, who is still trying to break her down and blames her for uh, a fight 
where in which he ended up losing his eye. Yeah. Um, Love that this like came back and was the plot of the second movie. Yeah. Um, and what's also interesting is that she escapes with a group of um of other like women prisoners. Yeah. Um, that she like doesn't really get along with. Um, but ends up becoming like a weird like escape road trip movie yes. with these characters that you and you spend like a lot of time with them um, and like learn Th- this one I, I think is really impactful because like you there's this scene where you hear what each of them is in prison for yeah yeah um, there's this older woman they find that's in this like abandoned village and she has this uh, she says something like all like women commit crimes because of men. Yeah, right. Yes. And then you see how each one of these women is in prison because of some injustice by a man yep. in their life. Yep. Um, or a man reacting to like a perceived injustice or whatever. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like a woman like killed her father who was like raping her yeah, or yeah. something. Like a right. a woman like killed her children because like the father was like unfaithful. It's like all of this interesting stuff that's happening that was cool yeah i forgot about that yeah it's really interesting. and it's another one of those moments that's really trippy and it just all of a sudden it like you kind of takes you out of reality and yeah. they have them costumed in a certain way mm-hmm. um so much of this movie felt like it was about um just like understanding that like each of these prisoners no matter how crazy they come off and like how like how much you don't necessarily like like them or identify them or agree with what they're doing all of them like is a person that has faced like so much trauma in their life yeah yeah um and there's several moments where it feels like that's what uh her character is thinking but then they also continue to show you that like yeah like these women are here because of the patriarchal society at large right the story of women's crimes yeah. uh is, is different uh from from other yeah. crime right like yeah, yeah yeah um which which makes this like a really awesome sequel uh because it it is still very much focused on uh scorpion and her role yeah. but it's also about like the prison culture and the people that end up there yes. and what that's like so um, I enjoyed this sequel quite a bit. Me too. I, I really liked this movie. Um, and then in 1973, uh, Mako is in Hiroshima Deathmatch, uh, which is another Yakuza story, uh, directed by Kinji Fukasaku, who directed uh, Battle Royale. Yeah, um, and uh, I own this movie. This is one of the Battles Without Honor and Humanity oh, movies. Cool. Um, this is one of the ones that I saw not knowing, uh, you know, so like Mako, mm-hmm. I'm sure is a big role in this. And I didn't even realize as I was yeah. watching it. Um, I think that this is the second in the series. And if I remember right, what I liked so much about the second movie in this series is that it adds a legitimate romance to the story. Oh, I remember you telling me about this. Yeah. And I was like really impressed that it was like a good romance that made sense to me and kind of actually like. I don't know. It it helped tell the story of these like warring families. Yeah. And so now I'm curious if like she is the love interest character. Like yeah. As far as I know, she had a pretty big leading role in at least one of these movies. That would make so sense think, to me that that yeah. she's maybe the love interest character. Okay. Um, which is cool. Like that's yeah. awesome. And yeah, Sonny Chiba is also in this movie. Oh, which cool. Is, like he rocks. You know. Um, and then the same year, she does the third female prisoner film, which is called Beast Stable, which uh, in which Scorpion is now on the run. And this time, she's kind of facing off against a police officer whose arm she uh, <laughs> just like rips off at the beginning of the film and now he is like on the hunt for her trying to like bring her back to prison yeah 
Um, so it's like interesting because it's more like her out in the world. We get to see her out in the world, yeah. Um, but she becomes attached to this character named Yuki, mm-hmm. who is caring for her brother who was in like a terrible accident, and so he's like not there mentally at all. He seems mentally diminished, and somehow that has like yeah turn that the movie indicates that that is somehow contributing to him being like sexually stunted yeah. where he basically is horny all the time and doesn't know what to do other than as if he's like a dog basically yeah. and and like needs to basically hump something and so like she basically offers herself to her brother almost as yeah. if like if he wasn't raping her he'd be raping somebody else yeah. so she just takes it it's, it's thoroughly really depressing yeah, yeah, it's really it's depressing horrifying yeah. um it's it's honestly like a really disturbing part of this particular story yeah. um but there you know then there is this like you know that woman yuki is also like a sex worker yeah. and she gets in trouble kind of with this like local gang that is kind of like I guess like they're pimps, right? Yeah, they're 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 involved. These women. Yeah, they're yeah. like involved in a lot of legal yeah. activities, and one of them is a female like leader who knows uh, Scorpion from prison. Yeah. So there are a lot of interesting dynamics in this one. Um, there's like they also have like a lot of like birds that I remember once yeah, there's like right. a like a bird attack scene yes. in this film, which yes. is interesting. Yeah, I didn't um, like this one as much as no. the first two, but I did enjoy yeah. it. I liked I liked that uh Scorpion like kind of has this like close relationship with this Yuki character. Um but yeah, I'm interested because we did not see the last of these movies. Yeah. Um so I'm interested in what the last one Grudge is song. about. Grudge song. Yeah. Um yeah. uh and then the same year she then does uh Lady Snowblood, which we've talked about quite a bit. Oh, uh which this movie is so fucking oh, man. good. We watched this as a part of our uh vengeance uh marathon that we did yeah, together. Our, our ladies of vengeance. And uh this was one that I had wanted to see for a while. Um so she plays Lady Snowblood, um, who is the daughter of a woman who was like raped by this group of men who murdered her husband and she murders one of them ends up in prison um is pregnant gives birth to this like this child whose name i think is also yuki in this one i can't remember you might be right um I think I'm right. Yep, Yuki. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she gives birth to Yuki and is like, you will enact vengeance for me. Like, and like she's referred to as this kind of like demon vengeance. Yeah, baby. I forget the exact term that they use, but I, it sounds like at least in the world of this movie in like Japanese culture, there are these like demons that are specifically born to enact revenge. That yeah. is their one mission in life. So they're not like living their own life. They're yeah. just there to enact the vengeance that they think is necessary. And there's this weird, interesting thing where, like, because she's born in a prison and then her mother dies, she has to, like, just be raised in the prison. Yeah. Like, she basically serves the rest of her mother's sentence, kind of, or something. I can't, can't totally remember if we even see any of that, but... Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it's interesting because then she's, like, trained by this, like, man that, like, teaches her, like, at, at a very young age, he, yeah. like, is teaching her, like... To enact vengeance. Yeah, yeah. Um, he teaches her sword play. He teaches her how to fight. Um, so we we get um, Mako 
in as Lady Snowblood. She's always in these like very traditional like Japanese outfits. She always has like the I forget what the little sandals are that have like the the like wooden sandals. Yep. Um, she the always click, has click, a click, click, click sound. Yep. yep. She always has like this umbrella with her, mm-hmm. uh, which then she pulls her sword out of the umbrella yeah. to fight. Which like that's the other thing too is like man she is such a badass. She does all of these amazing fight scenes while she's dressed in what I assume is very uncomfortable like restrictive clothing right. to fight in. Yeah. Um, but yet we see her in several of these like matches uh, throughout the film. Yeah, the fight choreography in this movie is great. Yeah. The cinematography is beautiful. This yes. is like a exceedingly beautiful movie. Yeah. Really, really well made. And it is like, as we are sitting here talking about how just a tremendous presence Mako is on screen and how much her face is a lot of that presence, like, this movie is all of her physicality, all of her facial acting, kind of like as big and as large and as best as it yeah. is in her career. You know, it's like it's all the stuff that kind of defines her just in one really kind of miracle yeah. of a great action kind of exploitation movie, yeah. you know? And then this uh, also, too, she sings this main song for this, yep. which is also in Kill Bill. Yep, yep. Um, so, yeah, it makes sense, too, because this is, like, you know, Quentin Tarantino was obviously very influenced yeah, by sure. uh, Lady Snowblood um, and seems to be quite a big fan of Mako. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we saw a picture of them together. He did get to meet her at one point, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, and I, I, th- I know this is, like, in your notes later, but since we're talking about it, like, I guess he has said somewhere in the past that like yeah. he would like to cast her in a movie which makes sense to me yeah yeah um yeah so uh after lady snowblood she does uh the last female prisoner movie grudge song which we have not seen yet yeah um and then in 1974 she does lady snowblood 2 love song of vengeance which we did watch the other day yeah um and i liked this movie it was pretty much what i had heard about it which is that it's not quite the movie mm-hmm. the first one is and i would agree with that but it is a very interesting, in, in the way that the Battles Without Honor uh, or Humanity, uh, what I like about those movies is that they very much are telling the history of Japan, of like a certain period of Japan, through the genre of Yakuza movie. This very much feels like it's telling, you know, we are learning some Japanese history through this, you know, sequel to a genre movie, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. And I liked that about it, like, a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it was... It, it was an interest. It was a very different but very interesting sequel yeah. because it is. It. I mean, the plot is like, what? What does she? What is she living for now that yes. her vengeance has been enacted? Like she yeah. has like completed her her act, what she was supposed to do, and so essentially, what she does is live for other people's vengeance and to act as like a vessel for them. Um. So she, you know meets this anarchist who the government hires her to kill and then she decides to kind of side with him and help him out because she thinks like he whatever he's trying to do like is this noble cause he's on a righteous path of some he's kind. on a righteous path yeah. he's trying to tear down this like a uh, corrupt government yeah. um so yeah it's it's interesting it has like a lot of these like historical elements to it too which the first one also does as yes, well yes. um it definitely is trying to be very like uh particular about its like period of Japanese history that it's in yeah. which is pretty interesting even though it's not a thing like I know a ton about unfortunately right. um that's actually why I like some yeah. of these movies it, it, I feel like I'm learning like actual history while watching them you know yeah I agree um 
so yeah, although very different, I thought pretty noble sequel. Yeah, yeah, I, I liked this quite a bit. And I also think, you know, uh, the first one is just so fucking beautiful, it's yeah. hard to really, but this movie is also beautiful. Like, it, yeah. they're, in fact, um, there are quite a few scenes early in the movie that are shot, like, on beachfronts on the water and mm. stuff that are... <sighs> fucking gorgeous yeah. like really really beautiful there sequences. were so many times where we were just like oh my god this like this is beautiful yeah. and this is beautiful yeah. um criterion has a two movie set of both yes. of these that is worth getting yeah um 1975 she does a film called um domyaku reito which is a film that sounds pretty interesting a hospital intern threatens to blow up a bullet train because he believes that their noise and pollution is contributing to his patient's death what yep Okay. Sounds wild. Okay. Um, she then does a film called Yakuza Graveyard in 1976. These are somewhat famous as well. I would like to see I was going to say, this sounds like a title that I've heard of, and it's like a dope title. It's also uh, uh, Kinji Fuka Saku. Yeah. Um, uh, which is this, you know, Battles Without Honor and Humanity yeah. and um, uh, uh, Battle Royale. Um, in 1978, she does a film called Double Suicide of Sonazaki, uh, which is about a poor merchant and a prostitute who plan to commit suicide together. Huh. Um, apparently, Kaji won a plethora of awards for her stand-up performance in this film. Whoa. Um, she says, uh, there's a Japanese film connoisseur that I have a quote from. Uh, she's incandescently beautiful in it. She... Um, I don't know if it's the exquisite period costume, the hair, the makeup, or simply her passionate performance, maybe a combo, but one thing's for sure, she's utterly captivating. You just can't keep your eyes off her. Yeah, I mean, um, that's how I feel about her and everything, you know? Apparently, this was a very different role for her, though, because, like, it is, like, this love story between yeah. these two people who can't see, who feel like they can't be together, so mm -hmm. they just decide to commit suicide together. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, Romeo and Juliet kind and of And I think, like, it's about, like, them just spending, like, a weekend together before they... Mm do this um but apparently i think what i know of it is that it's based on a play in japan because when i was trying to find this movie i kept finding videos of people performing this huh. story huh. um but it's interesting because from what i know very different from her other performances she won a bunch of awards for it but it also seems like one that's not super available, available which is really unfortunate yeah. but i would love to see it just for the contrast yeah. uh, in the performances that sounds really interesting um, and then, uh, we get to the eighties. So, uh, one of the notes I have here too, was it said just, uh, Overwork amidst rampant production schedules and underpaid like many Japanese actors, Meiko Kaji abandoned the film industry after the mid-70s um, after appearing in a few works uh, by director uh, Yasuzo Masumara. Um, later works, she put her career somewhat on hiatus, though to this day she still stars in occasional roles, mainly for television. Um, so yeah, she, she, although she still continues to do some stuff, just from the seventies alone, like she had, she would do like five or six films like a year, which seems like unheard of like today. Oh, I mean, for a lot of folks, looking at nineteen eighty onward, I'm literally looking at like a dozen credits here. Yeah, she's got hundred and ten credits. Yeah, that means from the sixties through the seventies, she was doing you know the bulk of her work. In yeah. twenty years, she made like a hundred movies, basically. It's wild. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in 1980, uh, she's credited for being in the Battles Without Honor and Humanity, the complete saga. So this is a three hour and 44 minute compilation of the first four movies. That's wild. Which also, by the way, means that she doesn't even have to make a movie for this credit. This yeah, is just them re-editing a movie that already existed, you know? Um, yeah, I know. 
So it's like, this is like... It's interesting. Yeah. Also wild. Like, it's almost four hours I long. Know. Yeah. And they just decided to combine the first four and movies. It's like that Godfather edit. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so, uh, the next movie that she's in is a film called The Wicked from 1980. Um... It says, if your wife is seeing Dr. Shinshichi Toyo, be worried. Uh, this medical uh, specializes in assisting women in removing both their husbands and their clothing. <laughs> uh, man, please, someone help me find this movie. It's got an amazing poster, the and it sounds incredible. great. Um, she. In 18, 1986, does a film called Tree Without Leaves uh, about a writer who isolates himself to work on his first novel. Um, in the 90s, she does like a couple TV movies. There's one that has an insanely long title. Um, it's Shokin uh, Kasigi. Uh, it's about a one-eyed ronin, uh, which sounds pretty interesting. Uh, one-eyed ronin, good premise. Um, in 1995, she does Onihei's uh, Detective Records, which is a drama that starred uh, Kinshimon uh, Nakumara, who's in The Black Hat, uh, okay. one of the movies that I've seen that we talked about, these like Black Hat uh, ghost stories. Yeah. Um, she has an animated role in the 1999 film Zeno. Okay. Um, in the 2000s, uh, she does a couple TV shows, uh, Wonderful Single Life. All right. Uh, Seven Women in Prison from 2018, which I'm really interested to see because I wonder if it's kind of like... Yeah, uh, playing on her um, fame as the female prisoner scorpion. Yes. Uh, In 2020, she did a film uh, called Under the Open Sky, which was from a female director, uh, Miwa Nishikawa. uh, So I'm kind of interested in that. And then her last uh, credit was a film from the same year called *The Voice of Sin*, huh. about a newspaper reporting uh, newspaper reporter working on like a mystery that dates back thirty years. So she like very recently has actually done a, a couple of yeah, movie a couple roles things. for the first time in a while. Yeah, um, but yeah, kind of outside of acting, we mentioned her her singing career. Um, her song from Lady Snowblog, it is called Flowers of Carnage, uh-huh. uh, which she did. Uh, her theme for Female Prisoner, Urami Bushi. Um, she's recorded and released several albums and singles. Um, and like we mentioned, uh, her two songs were in Kill Bill 1 and 2 uh, from those film from those uh, initial films of hers. Cool. Um, in 2017, uh, Arrow released a biography by Tom Mess called Unchained Melody, the films of Meiko Kaji. If someone can find this for me, please do. The we director, really want this book. Or the writer got back to me and said, he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, Arrow hasn't reached out to me about, like, another, like, print Edition, of this. Yeah. And I'm like, I need, I need this book. Yeah. Um, in March twenty um, on March twenty fourth, twenty ten, the record company um, Tetsuki released a collection box gathering all of Mako's uh, discography. The box set contains six CDs, including some new songs, one DVD with an interview with the singer. So cool. Yeah, um, she supervised the digital restoration of her films in the nineteen nineties for release on Laserdisc, DVD, and Proton, um, and similarly remastered her albums. What the fuck is Proton? I'm looking that up I later. Know. Um, Mako lives in a village on the north of 
Etra. Uh, she leads a self-sufficient life, farming her own food and using solar power and wind power for electricity in her home and personal recording studio. Extremely cool. And the last note I have here, uh, she is an anarchist and feminist. Her political beliefs have influenced her filmmaking. She is a member of AFFA, the Anarchist Federation, and does not vote in elections. Even, even so, she notably ran in 1981 a presidential election with People Power Citizens Movement. Um, in order to ensure anarchist ideas were part of the campaign. She finished fifth in the first preference votes. So this is so interesting to me because, like, for instance, the Stray Cat Rock movie we watched was all about... um, Wait, no, I'm thinking of... um, What was... uh, It was Lady Snowblood 2. Mm -hmm. It was all about her kind of falling in with this anarchist and and wanting to help him overthrow the government. And it's very interesting to me that it's very clear that... um, her own personal beliefs really drove yeah. her career in an industry that didn't really let actors drive their own careers. Yeah. Like the fact that she was able to do this at all within the Japanese film industry at the time she did it is insane yeah. to me, you know? And then, you know, kind of is able to say like when she's done, she's like, I don't want to work at this right. place anymore. So I'm going to retire. I'll continue singing and doing stuff occasionally. But like, I it's, mean, I think that's it's like so impressive. unheard of, you yeah. know? Um, and yeah, I mean, I, tried to gather as much information as I could. Uh, but like, even, even then, like she, one thing I, I read was that she, um, has been offered roles in the U S but doesn't think that she can, uh, act as well in another language other than Japanese. It's insane to me because her whole thing is that you just need to put the camera on. I know. I know. Um, but yeah, like because of that, like there aren't a lot of interviews with her that I could find. Um, because like, you know, she's not been in any American movies. She's so not been in American like movies. Like I don't know how well circuits. she speaks English. Right. Yep. Um, yep. So even if there was stuff available, right. it may Would not be available or, for yeah, like me. In English. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, you know, uh, I used like lovemagazine.co, uh, Grindhouse Database, um, lots of like interesting. Oh, there's um, someone wrote like a whole piece on Mako for like a, it looks like a dissertation. Okay. Uh, so I was able to gather like a decent amount from that. So like, thank you to the person. It's called uh, Flower of Carnage, the Revenge Films of Mako Kaji. So thank you so much, uh, someone out there for being as interested in her as I am yeah. and writing like a whole dissertation on her. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I would love more information on her. So like, help us. Yeah, we want to get that Arrow book. Yeah, um, we really do. Or or any resources people might have. Yeah. Because um, we are like fully fascinated and entranced by this woman. Yeah. She's If there incredible. are some of these movies of hers that you know yeah. of that like you have somehow right. got. If, if you know how to get us access to some of this stuff like please. please let us know. Yeah. yeah. Reach out. Yeah. Uh, find us everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast. That's Killer BS Podcast. Um, and, and reach out to us, killerbeespodcast at gmail.com. Please give us information on how we can get more info on Mako and her yeah, movies. Yeah, and, uh, you know, thank you for, for listening. This was kind of a different episode and kind of interesting for us because, like, it was hard to do someone that we, like, couldn't find a ton of information on or yeah. had this, like, I interesting career. I thought you did career, a great job. I mean, I'm the one sitting here next to you doing this podcast with you, but I thought you did a great job finding a bunch of information oh, about her. This was, like, very easy to talk about. Oh, you're just good. saying that because, you know, I'm going to make you nachos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are going to make me nachos after this. I'm so excited. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we really love her, and so it's interesting, like, you know, researching someone that we're really into that, like, we had to, like, dig a little bit more than usual yeah, because yeah. of, like, the international language barrier and just like, you know, how, you know, the film industry is, how old some of these films are and they just never came to the U S it's like, it was an interesting challenge for sure. Yeah. 
Um, but thank you guys for for listening. And we actually we don't even know who we're doing next yet, right? We don't. Okay, so we can't announce it. No, we ha. can't. Ha. You're just gonna have to find it's out when our next episode. Gotta be a secret starts. because I didn't do my homework today. It's fine. Um, well, like I said, find us everywhere on the internet at Killer Bees Podcast, Killer BS Podcast. Um, you can find me on the internet at Philadelphia. That's with an F. Twitter, Letterboxd. Please follow my Letterboxd. And uh, we're part of the Movie John Podcast Network. That's on moviejohn.com, J-A-W-N. Um, and I have another podcast called I Like to Movie Movie. I think that's up on the internet. And you've got a really awesome, uh, you've just started an awesome column with Movie John. you got like a few of those out now. I sure do. It's called uh, Big Ideas, Small Budgets. Yeah. Uh, I've written about a movie called Coherence that I really like. And a movie called Cube. Cube. That I love Cube. Um, yeah, I, you know, also Tori Potenza, I'm on Letterboxd and all of the things. And, uh, yeah, I should have a new Cronenberg piece up, my per, my first for Movie John soon on, um, Ex- Existence. Uh, Jacob's Wife I'm reviewing. I'll have a column up soon, too, so definitely check out all of that stuff. I got a shitload of Godzilla content up on Movie John. Yes, you do. By the time do. you're hearing this, it's long past. But, Godzilla uh, and we- Adam Wingard. Yeah, you can look it up. <laughs> um, all right, I think that'll do it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Buzz, buzz. Buzz.